0: On the cusp of a new year, I can now see the past with more clarity than before. As I, and I'm sure you too, look ahead to a new year, not knowing what tomorrow might bring, I find myself facing a plethora of different thoughts and emotions. This past year, I personally have experienced a mixture of different emotions, moments of awe, gratitude, marveling at all that the Lord has done in me and in his church, but also times of deep, dark valleys, times of discouragement, sadness, disappointment, and different trials, difficult trials. But through it all, the Lord and his people have been a great encouragement to me and have loved me. As I and you look to the year ahead with an awareness of our limitations, our limited abilities, our limited time, our limited resources, we can very easily become anxious, discontent, and faithless which can in turn result in us becoming self-focused, self-seeking, selfish and self-reliant. But God's word calls us to the exact opposite. In Philippians chapter 2, the apostle Paul said to the Corinthian, to the Christians in Philippi that if there is any encouragement in Christ, If there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, and since there is, we should think the same way by maintaining the same love, being united in Spirit, thinking on one purpose, doing nothing from selfish ambition or vainglory. But with humility of mind regarding one another as more important than ourselves not merely looking out for our own personal interests but also for the interests of others Christ Jesus is our example and although he existed in the form of God he did not count he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking on the form of a slave, being made in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, So that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father in contrast to selfish ambition our ambition as Paul says in 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 verse 9 Our ambition is to be pleasing to the Lord. But our lives don't always please the Lord. Whenever we sin, we grieve Him. And yet, I so desperately want to please Him. I want to honor Him. I want to love Him in the manner in which He deserves. I want to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness above all else. I want to keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the Father, and not the things that are on this earth. I want to know the joy and the satisfaction that can only be found in Jesus Christ. I want to walk in the good works which God has prepared beforehand for me to walk in. My desire is that I will glorify God in whatever I do, using all that is entrusted to me for his glory and for the good of others doing my work heartily unto the lord rather than for men but oh how can i live in a manner that is pleasing to the lord in second corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 the apostle paul presents two realities Of the believer in Christ so that you can live your life in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 we see two realities that are true of both me and you and every other Christian every other person who is in Christ which will enable us to face this new year with confidence that our lives will be lived in a manner that is pleasing to him. What are those two realities? Firstly, in Christ you are recreated. Secondly, in Christ you are redirected. Recreated and redirected. Paul wrote this letter, Second Corinthians, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Just one month after he had written 1 Corinthians, during his third missionary journey from the city of Macedonia on his trip from Ephesus to Corinth, which took place around the end of AD 55 or the beginning of AD 56. In his first letter, 1 Corinthians, he confronted the church in Corinth for their worldliness, They were heavily influenced by the surrounding immoral society. He also confronted them for their disunity and division and their disorderly worship. And praise be to God, they repented. But false teachers, false apostles had infiltrated the church and they were trying to discredit Paul's apostleship, saying that he is not a true apostle of Christ. And if these false apostles succeeded in discrediting him, then they could discredit the gospel as well. The message that he preached, he preached nothing more than the unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ. Thus, Paul writes the second letter to the church in Corinth to express relief that the Corinthians had repented from their previous rebellion against his instructions but also to defend his apostleship, and by so doing, confront the false apostles. In chapter one, he reminded the church that God comforts those who are afflicted. In 2 Corinthians chapter two, he reassures the church of his love for them, and also that he preaches the genuine gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. In chapter 3, he goes on to explain that the gospel of the glory of the Lord is unveiled to the believer in contrast to the fading glory of Moses' face and that the gospel transforms us more and more into the image of Christ from one degree of glory to the next. In chapter 4, he explained that the preaching of the gospel leads to affliction. But in spite of the rejection he experienced, the suffering that he was enduring, the death that he will face, Paul does not lose heart. He continues to preach because the glory of the future, the glory that he will receive in the future, is worth it. Paul's confidence in the the present was based upon his convictions about the future, his future glory. And he continues this theme into chapter 5. In chapter 5 verses 1 through 10, Paul describes the courage and the confidence that he has in the face of death. Because he knows that he and all who are in Christ will be resurrected. The righteous will be resurrected. And at that moment they will be at home with the Lord. The wicked also will appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and they too will be judged according to their deeds. Knowing his future, he says in verse 9, that it is his ambition, whether at home with the Lord or absent while still living on this earth, to be pleasing to him. Knowing the terrible end of the wicked In verses 11 through to the end of the chapter, Paul explains that the fear of the Lord and the love of Christ compels him, controls him, moves him to preach the good news of salvation, persuading others to be reconciled to God through the person and finished work of Jesus Christ. For as he said in Romans 1 verse 16, that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. They say that great leaders are marked by three things which they hold together. Humility, conviction, and courage. But if any one of these are absent, then everything changes. For example, if one has humility and conviction but doesn't have courage, one will be a passive leader. The person may have the right heart and know what needs to be done, but he or she does not have the fortitude to do it. If one has humility and courage, but does not have conviction, one will be an inconsistent leader. This person gets pulled in every direction by the latest fad, trends, strategies, because their convictions are not grounded in the immutable, unchanging word of God. If one has conviction and courage but does not have humility one will be a prideful leader this person may be in a position of authority but this person will not gain influence people may follow this person because they are obligated to do so but they will have no desire to do so Paul had humility conviction and courage because Paul was a man who was called and controlled by the love of Christ. So with this immediate literary context in mind, let's take a closer look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, the apostle Paul writes, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things passed away; behold, new things have come. As you can see, Paul begins with the word therefore, which indicates that he is drawing on, building on what he has just explained in the previous verses. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17, Paul is presenting two realities of the believer in Christ so that you will live in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord but he begins here with a conditional statement if anyone is in Christ these realities these two realities are only true of those who are in Christ these are not true of those who are outside of Christ not saved Those who are not saved, they cannot live in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord. They are under his judgment. To be in Christ means to belong to him. It means to be a recipient of his love, which controls the way that we live. Take a look at verses 14 through 15, 14 and 15. Paul says, for the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live would no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Christ's love, which is supremely expressed in his death, is the controlling factor in Paul's life as it is the controlling factor in every Christian's life. The love of Christ restrains him from living for himself and instead compels him to pour out his life for others. Christ, of course, is our example. His obedience and his submission to the will of the Father was a supreme act of self-giving love. He died to save us, and he lived and he died to give us an example to follow. Christ's death and resurrection has not only secured our future, but it must have an impact upon the way in which we live today. How have you responded to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? The Christian's response is, more than merely an intellectual assent to the truths of the gospel it shapes the very way that we think and speak and live it changes the entire direction of our lives those who belong to christ those who are in him they do not live for themselves but they live for him and for others to the glory of god We live in a world, in a community that is so obsessed with self-promotion, self-fulfillment, and self-indulgence. But brothers and sisters, we are to be distinct from this world. Jesus said that if anyone is to come after me, if anyone is to follow me, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross and let him follow me daily. We are called to be a salt and a light in this world to stand out by our holy lives and by our love for one another as jesus said that the world will know who are his disciples by their love for one another to be in christ calls for a radical change in the believer's life my wife's favorite verse is galatians 2 verse 20 where paul says i have been crucified with christ and it is it is no longer i who live but it is christ who lives in me and the life which i now live in the flesh i live by faith in the son of god who loved me and gave himself up for me if you are in christ there are two realities which are true of you which will enable you to live your life in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord. And the first reality is that you are recreated. Recreated. Paul says in verse 17 that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. On the sixth day of creation, God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness so that they will have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Then Yahweh God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And so the man became a living being humanity was created in righteousness and perfect innocence as a reflection of God's holiness and at the end of the sixth day of creation God saw all that he had made and behold it was very good as a reflection of the eternal love and fellowship that exists within the Trinity, God created man and woman to have companionship with each other and fellowship with him. But sin destroyed all of this. Sin entered this world through one man, Adam, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men. Because every one of us, from the moment that we are born in this world, are born dead in sin. Despite the depravity of man, we still bear the image of God. But it is marred by sin. Mentally, morally, socially, and physically, we see the scars of sin. But for us who are in Christ, we are recreated. Paul says we are a new creation. As believers in Christ, we are united with Christ in his death, we died with Christ, and we're united with him in his resurrection so that we might walk in newness of life with him. This is the sovereign monogistic work of God in our regeneration. John 1 verse 13 tells us that the new creation, the new birth, was brought about by the will of God, much like the original creation. We didn't inherit a new nature through our parents or by our own wisdom or strength. No, one cannot recreate oneself. The new creation is the sovereign work of the almighty God who is the creator. When God saved us, he didn't just clean up our old nature no he created something entirely new just as God created the whole universe ex nihilo out of nothing from nothing so too the new creation is completely new and even though this new creation will eventually spread to the ends of the earth both now and then it is localized in Christ it is not found anywhere else in this world nor in anyone else but only in Jesus Christ for he alone is the way he alone is the truth he alone is the life no one comes to the Father except through him alone by his love Jesus possesses sinful human beings as his own, whom he recreates and places in his community, the church. When God created Adam, he took lifeless dust from the ground and breathed life into it. When God recreated us, he took spiritually dead men and women and he breathed his Holy Spirit's regenerating life Into us through Jesus Christ. Please turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43. Because this new creation theology that Paul is talking about finds its foundation here in Isaiah's prophecy. Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19. Yahweh God says through his prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 43:18 and 19, He says, "Do not remember the former things, nor carefully consider the things of the past. Behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not know it? I will even make a roadway in the wilderness, rivers in the wasteland. This promise? speaks indirectly of Israel's return from exile, but its focus, the focus is on the culmination of God's plan of redemption, which will occur in the millennial kingdom, where the wilderness will have a road, and the wastelands and deserts will have rivers. Paul's reference to the new new creation is echoed at the end of this book, at the end of Isaiah, so turn to Isaiah 65, Isaiah 65 verses 17 through 25, where the promise of something new appears in the promise of the new heavens and the new earth. Isaiah 65 verses 17 through 25, Yahweh God says, for behold, I'm creating a new heavens and a new earth. And the former things will not be remembered or come upon the heart, but be joyful and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem for rejoicing and her people for joy. I will also rejoice in Jerusalem and be joyful in my people. And there will no longer be heard in her the voice of weeping and the voice of crying. No longer will there be in it, an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fulfill his days. For the youth will die at the age of one hundred, and the one who does not reach the age of one hundred will be thought accursed. They will build houses and inhabit them. They will also plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They will not build and another inhabit. They will not plant and another eat. For as the lifetime of a tree, so will it be the day, so will so will be the days of my people, and my chosen ones will wear out the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain or bear children for terror, for they are the seed of those blessed by Yahweh, and their offspring with them. And it'll be that before they call, I will answer, and while they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will graze together, and the lion will eat straw like the grass, and dust will be the serpent's food. They will do no evil nor act corruptly in all my holy mountain, says Yahweh. Livingstone family, this is our hope. Jesus will one day make all things new when he reigns on this earth. Recreating this earth, lifting the curse from the ground, reigning from Jerusalem. Throughout Isaiah's prophecy, Yahweh God made it abundantly clear that he saves through Jesus Christ and not through the imaginary idols of this world. He establishes a new relationship through the powerful and gracious work of the Spirit's regeneration and the Son's redemption. Jesus said, in John 3 verse 3, that to become a Christian one must be born again. We need to be born from above. We need to be made alive together with Christ. We need to receive a new heart, a new spirit. We need to be transplanted by streams of water. After describing God's gracious work of salvation, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2 verse 10 that the reason why you and I are his workmanship, his work of art created in Christ Jesus is so that we would walk in the good works which God prepared beforehand for us to walk in. And this leads us to the second reason why we can enter this new year with confidence that we will live our lives in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord. So please turn back to 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. The second reality of the believer in Christ is that you and I are redirected. Redirected. Paul says in Verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. When God saves us in Christ, he redirects the entire focus and direction of our lives. Old things refer to our old nature our pride, our love of sin, our reliance on works, our former opinions and habits and passions. But when God saves us, he strips us of our supreme love of self with its self-righteousness and self-promotion and self-justification. And he compels us with his love to live for him and for his will, seeking his kingdom above all else living for others and not for self having as our ambition to be pleasing to him our old selfish self was nailed to the cross and we are now no longer slaves of sin our former way of living our old man which was corrupted by deceitful desires has died and now the new man in Christ Jesus has been created to be like God in righteousness and holiness of truth. When God saves us, all things become new. New things refer to our new nature in Christ. We have a new purpose, new desires, new understanding, a new relationship with the triune God through Jesus Christ, and a new relationship with his church. Do you remember how your understanding of Scripture changed when God saved you? Previously, it was foreign, confusing, boring, dead, because you were dead. But when God saved you, He illuminated your mind, enabling you to behold the wonderful truths in His Word. He revealed His glory to you and is changing you Into the image of Christ from one degree of glory to another. Suddenly, this boring Bible became the most precious book that you've ever read. When God saves us, we begin to view others differently. We have a new kind of love toward family and friends. We have a new pity and compassion toward our enemies and a new love for all. The things we once loved we now detest. The sin we once held on to we now desire to put away forever. We actively, prayerfully, daily strive to put off the old man with its evil practices and to put on the new man who is being renewed to the full knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which Christ is all and in all. Colossians 3, verses 10 and 11. Praise be to God that we have been recreated and that we have been redirected. Because of his gracious, powerful, miraculous work in us, we can have certainty that this year will be filled with many undeserved blessings. This, This year will be filled with many spiritual blessings, many opportunities to serve him, which is going to require us to humble ourselves as we depend upon him for the ability and the character and the resources that we need in order to serve him in a manner that is pleasing to him. But you might say to me, pastor, what if this year like last year is just so filled with sin? And that's a very good question. My brother or sister, remember there is a difference between continuing to sin and continuing to live in sin. There's a difference. No one can achieve sinless perfection in this life. But if you are truly saved, if you are truly in Christ, then you will be sanctified. You will be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. For it is no longer you who live, but it is Christ who lives in you. Yes, dear Christian, we will still sin, but we will fight sin. And we will sin less and less frequently as we grow more and more into the image of Christ. The new self hates the sin that still holds on and loves the righteousness that we don't yet possess. The difference is, as Paul says in Romans 6, we who are in Christ are now no longer slaves of sin. Sin no longer has that power over us. We are now slaves of righteousness, slaves of Christ. He is our master. 2 Peter 1 verse 3 through 8 tells us that by God's power, we have everything that we need for life and godliness, which comes through the full knowledge of him. Now, if growing in our knowledge of God is the means by which we are made godly, What is the best way in which you and I can grow in our knowledge of God? By spending time with him in his word, in prayer, in fellowship with other believers, in discipleship relationships, in sacrificial ministry to his church, in proclaiming the gospel to others, in giving, in fasting, in confessing, in repenting, in partaking of the Lord's table. And I can go on and on and on. The Lord has blessed us at Livingstone Bible Church with many opportunities to be involved in these things. Take advantage of them this year. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful for your gracious work of redemption that you have accomplished through your son the Lord Jesus Christ, who came and entered into this world as a man and fulfilled the law through his perfect obedience to you and your will, who died on the cross to pay sin's penalty in full on our behalf, who rose again on the third day, conquering sin and death and the evil one, enabling us through him and through the regeneration of the Spirit to walk lives that are pleasing to you, to walk in the good works that you have prepared beforehand for us to walk in. Oh God, continue to sanctify us through your word and through the many means of grace that you bless us with. God, please help us to keep our eyes on Christ. It is his love that compels us, that controls us. It is him who lives now in us, so that we now no longer live for ourselves, but for you and for one another, to your glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.